over the next eight weeks, there is one question that will be asked over and over and over again. From the mountains to the prairies to the oceans white with foam to the three-hour wait between Piney Grove and Harbison on I-26. This question will go on and on and on. And the question is this, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Parents are going to lose their minds over the next few weeks hearing that question over and over again. Now, my children, bless their heart, they were born to a father who is never in a hurry to get there. I will stop at the world's largest ball of twine. I'll stop at every gas station between here and Memphis. It's fantastic. You can't just drive straight through. There's too many nice people to meet and too many nice donuts to eat. Why would you just stay in the car? This is a great trip. Amen. Thank you for that. Amen. This is not just a question, though, for a trip to grandma's. It's not just a question for a trip to the beach or a trip to the mall. This notion of, of are we there yet is a question for every single one of us every day. So, so just take a second to ask your own heart and your own mind that simple question. Are you there yet? Have you arrived? Do you have it all together? Should, should your family and your friends and your employees and, and your church, should, should we rise up and call you blessed because you got it all figured out, all the financial expertise? You've got all the mechanical wizardry. You've got all the, the cooking magic. You've got all the, the Fortnite magic. You've got all the, the landscaping skills. You've got all the, the biblical knowledge. You've got all the spiritual wisdom. Boy, you just have it all together. Well, the reality is we all have some skills and some talents here and there. We're gifted in some ways, but we also all have shortcomings. Shortcomings are funny, though, because we don't always like to say that we have shortcomings. Sometimes we just ignore our shortcomings. Sometimes we don't want to admit we have shortcomings. And sometimes we refuse to admit we have shortcomings. But the greatest reality in this real world that we live in is that I have not arrived and neither have you. We have not arrived. We are not there yet. And that is great news. It's fantastic news. Because if you can embrace the reality that you're not there yet, that you haven't arrived, then you are in the best possible place to have the best life and the best love and the best happiness and the best joy and the best hope that exists anywhere in the universe. So how do you get to that place? Well, that's what we're going to try to find out this morning. Looking at Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 12, Paul writing to his friends at the church at Philippi says this, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. Paul says, I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived. I still have a long way to go. Now, let me just discourage you. This is arguably the greatest Christian who ever lived on the earth saying, yeah, I got a long way to go. So if Paul had a long way to go, man, we have a long way to go, right? Isn't really encouraging for Paul to say he has not arrived yet. But you know, I'm, I'm not so sure that that many Christians have a hard time thinking that they're perfect, right? I mean, I don't meet a lot of folks like that. Every now and then, you know, we'll meet somebody that just 
thinks they know all the answers. You know, they got it all together that, boy, they're, they're just a fantastic Christian. But, but most of the time, not, not very often. But what does happen is, is most Christians are in the danger of falling into to one of a couple of categories. And, and just for the sake of conversation, we'll call it inactive self-centeredness and active self-centeredness. Inactive self-centeredness and active self-centeredness. Inactive self-centeredness says something like this. Well, I'm not perfect. I haven't arrived. I'm not there yet. But it's okay. I got Jesus. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm under the blood. So so it doesn't matter. Inactive self-centeredness is an attitude that says, look, I prayed the sinner's prayer. I joined the church, got baptized. I attend. I give some money. So really, there's there's really nothing else that's that's that important. I I think I got the, the big stuff down. Here's what Jesus said, though. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And Jesus said this in John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Paul doesn't seem to be taking these as suggestions from Jesus. It's not like Paul's talking to his Sunday school class or a small group at Rome, and he says, hey, you know what? That stuff about you know, being perfect and obeying Jesus, nah, I don't worry about that. What Jesus really meant was just do your best and believe in yourself. Doesn't seem like it. When you look at the whole of everything that Jesus said, this is pretty much in line. The language that Jesus uses is you're not perfect, but you should be striving to be perfect. You're not perfect, but you don't get summer vacation from following me. You don't get to retire from obeying my commandments. No, the language that Jesus gives is you should follow me with everything you have as often as you can. Pursue me, pursue me, pursue me. Press on to keep following me. That's the language that we see in Jesus, and that's the language that Paul uses. Inactive self-centeredness, what it does is It's a heart that says, you know what, I haven't arrived. I'm not there yet, but it's not that big a deal. I I don't really have to think about it. But looking at how Paul talks, that's, and really how Jesus talks, that's the wrong route. And so is active self-centeredness. Active self-centeredness, it sometimes looks like kind of cool Christianity. Because it it has this thing of, well, we feel bad for our sin, and we kind of talk about how we feel bad about our sin, and we we talk about how we we really need to be a better Christian, and we're we're trying this and we're trying that. But but at the end of the day, it's still a self-centered mode because we're more concerned about our glory than the glory of God. What's that mean? John Piper says it this way. People who are depressed and immobilized and angry because their behavior has injured the glory of God are very, very rare. And whereas people who are, who are upset because what I'm doing and how I'm living, it is defaming the name of my God. It's, it's, it's clouding His glory around my world. I'm, I'm actually hindering people from seeing the beauty and the glory of God be, because of my actions. Folks like that are, are rare. But he goes on and says this. But people who are depressed and immobilized and angry because their behavior has prevented them from having a reputation of being cool and competent are very, very common. The picture here is this. Active self-centeredness is a heart that says, you know, I haven't arrived yet, but it's just because I, I just, I can't do anything right. 
Or I haven't arrived yet because people don't listen to my opinion. I'm not there. I haven't arrived yet. But you know what? It's because my spouse or my kids or my parents or my friends or my boss or my teachers or my politician or my pastor, they just don't appreciate me enough. They, they just don't do things the way that I think they should be done. Paul's not tossing out some vague, self-centered mantra here. Like, oh, well, you know, it's okay because nobody's perfect. That's, that's not how he's talking. Because look at Paul. He, he wasn't inactive in self-centeredness. He wasn't active in self-centeredness. Paul was like the guy who kind of arrived, right? I mean, he was important. He was competent. He was cool. People did what he said. I mean, he was significant. He was someone that if anybody had arrived, Paul had arrived. But he says, yeah, I'm not there yet. He's somebody who could say that, but he, but he didn't. He said, man, I just know that I'm missing Jesus in my life. I, I need more of Jesus in my life. Here's a guy who's saying, you know what, I'm not perfect And he's using that line as a way to confess that he's miserable, that his attitude and his actions, his words are less and less like Jesus, and he wants them to be more like Jesus. How about us? I mean, how how miserable are we that our attitudes are less like Jesus? I mean, how, how upset are we that the way we speak and talk and act looks less like Jesus. Are we concerned with those things? Paul said, I'm not perfect because I just see the lack of Jesus in my life. And yet, he was pursuing Jesus with all he had. Think about godly people in history that you've read about or or maybe a godly person that you knew personally that's already with the Lord. Think about how they they lived for Christ. Think of their devotion to Jesus, and, and we saw it in their lives, or we've read about it in their lives, and, and why is it that we don't see that example and, and follow it ourselves? Spurgeon said this, when we think of the saints departed and remember their patience and suffering, their diligence and labor, their ardor, their self-denial, their humility, their tears, their prayers, their midnight cries, their intercession for the souls of others. They're pouring out their hearts before God for the glory of Christ. Why we shrink into less than nothing and find no word of boasting on our tongue. Paul had every reason to boast, but but he doesn't boast. He says, look, I, I really need to acknowledge with as much humility as I can that I just need more of Jesus in my life. But he doesn't pat his back, pat himself on the back for, you know, being this humble guy who says, I need more of Jesus. Now, he does something else. Listen again to verse 12. But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Paul owns that he hasn't arrived yet, but he didn't sit and sulk about it, you know? Even all those things that I just said, if we're not careful, we'll go, oh, I need more Jesus. And Dallas says, I got a bad attitude. No, that's not it. It's us just acknowledging that here's this amazing follower of Jesus saying, man, I need to press on for more of Christ in my life. I mean, we see this in every other area of life, right? A little kid wants to act like a big kid. A 
big kid wants to act like a teenager. Teenager wants to act like an adult. We see it everywhere except too often in Christianity. We see people who have been following Jesus for years content to still be like children. Now somebody might say, wait a minute, the Bible says we're supposed to have faith like a child. Right on. But you know what? Faith like a child and acting like a child are two different things. Faith like a child and being spiritually immature as an adult who grew up in the church or has been in church for a long time, those aren't the same things. Well, that's why we hired the pastor. Pastor's supposed to do that real Christianity stuff. I'm okay. I got a devotion book and and I attend and I tithe. That's all I need to do. I don't think I really need anything else. Some of y'all may remember watching the London Olympics in 2012. And you may remember the story of Manny O'Mitchell. He was in the middle of running the 4x400 preliminary relay of the American sprinting group. And in the middle of his run, he's the first leg, he felt this pain. He said it felt like somebody had snapped his leg in two. And his leg broke in, in the first leg of this race. So you would think that he would pull himself off in the grass and fall down and scream in pain. But you know what he did? He kept running. <laughs> His leg was broke, and he kept running. And because he kept running, they finished the race. The American team qualified for the finals, and they went on to win a silver medal. So if we connect this with what Paul's saying here, the, the moral of the story is this. If you're a Christian and you break your leg, Suck it up and keep running, all right? That's, that's it. No. One doctor gave a description of why he felt like Mitchell was able to continue to run even though he had a broke leg. That's what he said. It was a combination of the highly trained athlete's fight or flight response to pain and the fact that the bone he broke absorbs less shock and does less work than the other leg bones. So, so part of the reason you could keep running is that the actual bone he broke was one that, you know, I guess it was a minor rate compared to other things, and, and he could keep running. The, the major bones allowed him to keep running. But another part of it, he was highly trained to not lose sight of the goal. He was focused. It didn't cross his mind to stop. He kept running. See, what Paul's writing to us as believers is, is we need to be highly trained. We need to be in the habit of focusing on following Jesus, not pulling back, not making excuses. And then when we're highly trained and the pain comes, we will not get out of the race. We will keep running. We'll keep pressing on. And why should we do that? Why should we keep pressing on? Why why should we try to to take hold of our salvation, so to speak? Well, Paul says it's because Jesus has taken hold of us. We are reaching out to take hold of Jesus because he has already taken hold of us. We are trying to apprehend Jesus because he has already apprehended us. I was growing up, I had a friend named Taiwan Tillman. Taiwan went on to Furman University He was a star free safety on the football team until a neck injury ended his college career. When college was over, uh, he went to medical school, did his residency at the Mayo Clinic, 
and now uh, last year he was the doctor uh, cardiologist of the year uh, in Victoria, Texas, out where he lives. But before all of that, Taiwan was the greatest kickball player that had ever stepped foot on the playground at Belvedere Elementary. When teams were picked up, Taiwan was always the first person picked. He was never the team captain, but he was always the first person picked, no matter who was picking. I was an average kickball player, you know. I don't think I was ever picked last, but I was somewhere in the later rounds. But, but then one day, something interesting happened. So Taiwan was picked first, as always, and then the next guy picked his guy, and I saw Taiwan turn to his captain and said, hey, pick Dow next. And so I got picked next. I was third overall. I'd never been that high. I didn't know what to do. But here's what I did. I played my heart out that day. Boy, I left it all on the kickball field that day because I was so thankful that Taiwan would go out of his way to pick me to be on the team. Paul was overwhelmed that his salvation was because Jesus picked and chose and apprehended him. He couldn't get over that Jesus had saved him. And so the the most logical thing in his mind was if Jesus has saved my soul, then I'm going to live for him. I'm going to give him everything that I can give. I'm not going to retire from Jesus. I'm not going to take a summer vacation from Jesus. I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm going to strive to be perfect. I'm not going to obey all of his commands perfectly, but man, I'm going to go after it. I'm going to run. I'm going to run. I'm going to run because he has taken hold of me. How does he go about doing that, though? Listen to verse 13. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Again, Paul says, I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived. I'm I'm not perfect. I I still have a long way to go. But but there's one thing that he was doing. He was doing one thing, giving it 110%. I know the math's wrong, but work with the analogy. He's giving 110%. He wasn't giving 10 things 110%. He was given one thing, everything that he had. John MacArthur once said, his grandfather said this, just do one thing right in your life and you'll be way ahead of most people. (laughs) There's some truth in that, right? Paul had this, this one thing. You know, sometimes in our personal lives and even in the life of the church, we don't have a one thing mentality. We think we have to do all of it, that we have to have everything, that we we have to do everything. But Paul gives a complete different picture. His energy, his passion was in one direction, in in one thing. And what is that one thing? Well, we're going to unpack that one thing next week, but let's just look at it quickly. Verse 14, Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If I were to to simplify that, Paul was pressing on for God. He was going hard after God. And and that means so many beautiful things, and we'll see some of that next week. But, But right now in this moment, I just want us to see how he gets there. Going hard after God, it has a prerequisite. And the prerequisite that Paul says is this, I forget. 
But that's how I go hard after God. I, I forget what's behind and I, I press on to what's ahead. Paul says, I'm, I'm reaching ahead for what God has for me. He's forgetting the past and pressing toward the future. Our past can be good and our past can be bad, right? Our, our past can be something that's helpful or our past can be something that's hurtful. Our past can be something that, that rules our lives and, and brings despair or our past can be something that shows us our mistakes and, and frees us up to do things different. But as Christians, we have not been called to live in the past. Vance Havner had a, a wide ministry life, including time at First Baptist Church in Charleston, South Carolina. Havner said this, memories, whether good or bad, must be handled with care. Bad recollections can drive us to despair. Good remembrances can become idols and lead us to wallow in sentimentality. We can paint the past with glamour it never had and crown dear ones with halos they never wore. Memory can become a tyrant instead of a treasure chest. From the mistakes of the past, let us learn whatever lessons they teach, then forget them, even as God remembers our sins no more. Let precious memories be benedictions, but not bonds. Life must be lived, and we must get on with the job. If you've ever read anything about World War II, that, that theme is everywhere. All the great leaders of World War II had that meant to get on with the job, get on with the mission, move on, move on, move on. What's next? What's next? Listen, I agree with Rascal Flats. I, I miss Mayberry, you know? I mean, I just do. But listen, Mayberry's gone. That time's gone. And it's never coming back. This is when we're alive. Today, now, here. Jesus has called us to be Christians today. He's called us to reach the world today, now, here. He's calling us to follow after him, to press on today, now, here. Yesterday is yesterday. We are not promised tomorrow. So it's Sunday morning. It's June 9th. It's my parents' anniversary. 63 years, I think. You know what they've been doing for 63 years? Pressing on pressing on. My parents are my favorite senior adults in the world because every morning they get up and they just press on. Do they like everything that's going on in the world? No. But they get up and they press on. And some of you are just like them. You just, you get up and you just press on. And not just senior adults, some of you middle adults, some of you young adults, some of you teenagers, you get up and you, and you press on. That, that's the gospel alive in us. God is calling us to, to press on. Paul is saying we need to press on. We are here, we are now. What are we doing for Jesus today? What are we doing for Jesus today? Some of you may have seen the report in the state newspaper last year that noted that at least 97 Protestant churches have gone out of business, completely shut down over the last eight years in South Carolina. 
One of those churches was 276 years old. So why is it that churches are, are closing? Well, there's a lot of reasons that a church could close. All, all kind of factors could go into that. But at least one factor is that a church is not growing. And why would a church not grow? Well, again, a whole lot of factors could play into that. But at least one factor is the church is not growing because they might be living in the past. They might be trying to do life based on some really noble things that have happened in the past, but, but they're living there. They're not putting their focus and their attention on the gospel today. Does that mean we should never look back? No. Does that mean that all the former ways are wrong? No. Do you know it's interesting in the Bible there's a time that God says remember the former ways and also don't remember the former ways? And I think the reason it does that is because sometimes we need to remember this is what God's called us to do. And then other times we need to remember, well, that was okay, but that's really not what God wants us to do. Does it mean that, that all traditions are bad? No, not in a million years. But it does mean this, that the way we approach our memories, the way we approach the past, the way we approach our traditions, the way we approach the former ways, it really matters. What we do with those things really matters. And guess what? It matters even today for today's traditions. I mean, think about this. Our church is creating traditions right now that in 40 years, the member of, members of Holland Avenue Baptist Church may say, yeah, we ain't going to do that anymore. And you know what? If I'm with Jesus, I'm not going to care. I'll be happy that the gospel is still alive at the church. John Piper says this, the point is not never look back. The point is only look back for the sake of pressing forward. Never substitute nostalgia for hope. Memories of successes can make you smug and self-satisfied. Memories of failure can make you hopeless and paralyzed in your pursuit of God. Never look back like that. Give humble thanks for successes, make humble confessions for failure, then turn to the future and go hard after God. That, that's the one thing. That, that's what Paul did. He just kept going hard after God. He did other things. There were other things that he pursued, but he didn't cling to the past. He didn't hold on to it. He kept his hands out front. He kept reaching for what God had already done for him in Christ, and he kept reaching for that goal. He kept standing on that shore and casting that wishful eye to the other shore where his true treasure existed. And why is he doing that? Because he had been apprehended. I just love that picture that, that Jesus had apprehended Paul. He, he had taken hold of him. He had saved him. And Paul couldn't get over that. So just a question for you today. Has Jesus apprehended you? Has Jesus taken hold of you? Are you truly saved? Are you truly a follower of Jesus Christ? If you are, then, then mentally and spiritually, I encourage you, pull yourself up to the table. Listen to these few truths. Own them, embrace them, love them, and live them. Because if you have been apprehended by Christ, then you are saved, and you are safe, and you are known, and you are loved, and nothing can change that. The, the bliss, the bliss, oh, the thought 
that your sin, not, not just in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross and you bear it no more. You bear it no more. You've been apprehended by Jesus. You've been taken hold of by Jesus. So press on to take hold of Him. Your life is in His hands. Find confidence in that and press on to know Him. F.B. Meyer was a pastor and evangelist, worked with some of the inner city areas of England in the late 1800s and early 1900s. This is what he said, and, and I'll preface this by saying, we don't use like language like this anymore. We don't talk like this anymore, but we should. Effie Meyer said this, never yield to discouragement. Let me just stop. I, I don't know where some of you are this morning. I do know where some of you are. And I know where some folks in our church are today, that, that there's discouragement. You know, we have discouragement. But, but I love the simplicity of this language. Never yield to discouragement. And he says this. Never sit down face to face with failure or imperfection as though these were a necessary part of your life. Look, if you can grab that, that is amazingly freeing. That imperfection and failure are not a necessary part of your life to sit and keep looking at face to face over and over and over again. And he says this, God can forgive failure, but he cannot forgive those who abandon their high quest and allow their hands to hang down and their knees to fail. Let me give Jesus' words there. Don't put your hands to the plow, turn around. Not fit for the kingdom. But then he says this, grasp the banner again. Find a way to image that, I don't know either your favorite team coming onto the field or, or, or some amazing moment that you've seen in a, a film about a war. Man, it's just, it's this great, man, grasp the banner again. Raise it up. Just grab it. And look what he says. Grasp the banner again. Rush forward into the fight. Let past failure be an incentive to more commanding achievements. In other words, don't let your failure defeat you. Let your failure push you forward. Why? Because you're saved and you're safe and you're free, and you're known, and you're loved. So you can grab the banner, and you can go. And he says this, remember that Christ is always just in front. I have a sentence or a phrase or something every week that just kind of grabs my attention, and this is the one all week long. Because I'll be honest, sometimes I just can't see Jesus. I just can't. And I needed a guy who's been dead for a long time, who's been with Jesus for a long time, to help me see this week, hey, Dow, Jesus is still right out in front. He hadn't left you. You're still following him. He's still there. And then one day, you'll be with him forever. But he's still there. He's still out in front. Mark says this, remember that Christ is always just in front. His grace is sufficient. Dare to claim the fulfillment of his own promise. My grace is sufficient for thee. His strength is perfect. His grace is sufficient. His love is enough. And his salvation is all that you need. So press on. Press on. Take hold. Forget and look forward. 
because Jesus is just in front. Let us press on to follow him.